Thank you for viewing this Life to Tape video. Life to Tape is part of Fotations, and if you'd like to help, you can visit FotationsDonation.com, where there are ways you can support financially or by donating equipment. If you'd also like to support on social media, that helps out a lot. There's more information on our social media accounts in the links below. Thank you. Bye-bye. Hello, this is the Fotations Life to Tape podcast. We are reading the Junior Classics Volume 1, Fairy and Wonder Tales. This is uh, part 7. We've done 7 uh, episodes, each about between 30 to an hour in length. So we're going to continue where we left off. The next story is the Snuffbox. But before I do, this is a podcasting 2.0 podcast, which means you can find it on uh, newer apps that support podcasting 2.0. I personally recommend Podverse. I've been using that like crazy for the past past two two or three months. I, I only use Podverse, and uh, one of the advantages of podcasting 2.0 is it's an open directory. So if you're familiar with you know Linux and uh, installing applications, and kind of like an app store where podcasting 2.0 is like an open database and it's an open if you think about it, like you have like Google Android, you can get you know any apps you want, versus uh, iOS, which limits which apps you can, you know, both put on the store and download. Uh, Podcasting 2.0 is it's it's like an app store, uh, but a directory of all the podcasts you know ever out there, and um, it's it's the full directory it's unedited uh, nobody takes things down uh, but what's nice about it is because it's open source and it has like it's like the master file uh, you can download you know different applications that are like okay we have all the podcasts to choose from but we only want podcasts based on cars so everyone's really able to custom make um, selections based on the huge library of of work out there, and so that's why this is podcasting 2.0 podcast. It's just because you know I don't want to create all these episodes and then you know some you know troll farm comes in and like oh flag it for this and then gets taken down because I've been I've been creating content and have been you know, in that sphere long enough that I've seen a lot of, you know, troll farms that were essentially bots that go around and they, they flag a creator's account and they do like some trickery where they, you know, mass report and then it gets completely deleted and erased. And if that happens on YouTube, who do you have to talk to? You know, YouTube doesn't have a phone number you can call. You can tweet them. And if you have enough, you know, Twitter followers, they might answer you. Uh, but they probably won't, and so then your channel's just gone. And so I don't want to kind of be, you know, at the whim of companies like YouTube or Twitter, uh, you know, because a lot of times the people I've seen who, it's not canceled, it's, you know, removed for because uh, they say, oh, this is pirated content, when it's not, and it's all, it's a whole automated process, and there's no human, you know, you can get to, there's no human that approves the deletion of a channel or anything uh, like that. So I'm really, 
into the open database and I do a lot of programming it with Linux and with the open source community what's nice is the stuff really the applications and everything that's developed to be open source lasts a lot longer than the proprietary stuff and another story is um, I ha in terms of uh, proprietary software uh, there was this one animation software that I had that was from 2012 and recently my hard drive failed and uh, I went to reinstall everything and this 2012 animation software I went to reinstall and so even though I had the product key uh, it said I had to go online and um, re-register the the product key to the new computer and so I tried doing that but the company that made the software uh, spun off they became a different type of company and so they sold the software to a different one and it's still under the same name uh, and so when I was texting their tech support they were really rude and uh, I said oh I'm trying to you know reactivate uh, activate my my account for this you know 2012 uh, animation software and they're like well just to let you know it's not software you activate it's a software license and I was like okay and they're like that's a 10 year old license 10 year old you know piece of software and I was like yes I know but I developed around this software and I need this specific one and then they just never texted me back um Oh, no, that's not true. They texted me back and they said, make sure that the zeros are zeros and not, you know, the letter O. And make sure you have exclamation points where you're supposed to have it. So it was kind of like, I texted them. I was like, oh, I, I double-checked. Uh, is there anything you can do? Because the software, you know, it phones home. So it goes and it looks and it says, okay, uh, you have to contact this server. But apparently those servers were turned off, so it just the, the software doesn't work anymore. And so then they're like, "Oh, you can buy the new one." And I'm like, "No, I'm not gonna, you know, because it's several hundred dollars." And it's like, I paid several hundred uh, for the first one, and there's like there's no support, even though it's ten years later. And uh, so that's kind of the story of how closed systems. You know, they can pwn you over time and they don't really withstand um, withstand the test of time. So this is the Junior Classics Volume 1, Fairy and Wonder Tales. And we're going to pick off where we left off. And the title is kind of it's kind of dark. But the next story is The Snuff Box by Paul Silbot. As often happens in this world, there was once a young man... There was once a young man who spent all his time traveling. One day, as he was walking along, he picked up a snuffbox. He opened it, and the snuffbox said to him in the Spanish language, "What do you want?" He was very much. He was very much frightened, but luckily, instead of throwing the box away, he only shut it tight and put it in his pocket. Then he went on away, away, away. And as he went, he said to himself, "If it says to me again, what do you want?" I shall know better what to say this time. So he took out the snuff box and opened it, and again it asked, What do you want? My hat is full of gold, answered the youth, and immediately it was full. The young man was enchanted. Henceforth he could never 
be in need of anything. So on he traveled, away, 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 through thick forests, till at last he came to a beautiful castle. In the castle there lived a king. The young man walked around, around the castle, not caring who saw him, till the king noticed him and asked what he was doing there. I was just looking at your castle. You would like to ha have one like it, wouldn't you? The young man did not reply. But when it drew dark, he took out his snuff-box and opened the lid. What do you want? Build me a castle with laths of gold and tile, of diamonds, and the furniture all of silver and gold. He had scarcely finished speaking when there stood in front of him the exact opposite exact opposite the king's palace, a castle built precisely as he had ordered. When the king awoke, he was dumb he was struck dumb at the sight of the magnificent house, shining in the rays of the sun. The servants could not do their work for stopping to stare at it. The king dressed himself and went to see the young man, and he told him plainly that he was very that he was a very powerful prince, and he hoped that they might all live together in one house or the other, and that the king would give him his daughter to wife. So it was all turned out just as the king wished. The young man married the princess, and they lived happily in the palace of gold. But the king's wife was jealous both of the young man and of her own daughter. The princess had told her mother about the snuff-box, which gave them everything they wanted. The king bribed a servant to steal the snuff-box. They noted carefully where it was put away every night, and one evening when the whole world was asleep, the woman stole it and brought it to her old mistress. How happy the queen was! She opened the lid, and the snuff-box said to her, What do you want? And she answered at once, I want you to take me and my husband and my servants and this beautiful house and set us down on the other side of the Red Sea, but my daughter and her husband are to stay behind. When the young couple woke up, they found themselves back in the old castle without their snuff-box. They hunted for it high and low, but quite vainly. The young man felt that no time was to be lost, and he mounted his horse and filled his pockets with as much gold as he could carry. On he went, away, 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 but he sought the snuff-box in vain, all up and down the neighboring countries, and very soon he came to the end of all his money, but still he went on, as fast as the strength of his horse would let him, begging his way. Someone told him that he ought to consult the moon, for the moon traveled far and might be far and might be able to tell him something. So he went away, 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 and ended somehow or another by reaching the land of the moon. There he found a little old woman who said to him, What are you doing here? My sons eat all living things he sees, and if you are wise you will go away without coming any farther. But the young man told her his sad tale, and how he possessed a wonderful snuff-box, and how it had been stolen from him, and how he had nothing left now that he parted from his wife and was in need of everything. And he said that perhaps her son, who traveled so far, might have seen a place, a palace of lath of gold and tiles of diamonds, and furnishes all of silver and gold. As he spoke these last words, the moon came in and said he smelled mortal flesh and blood. But his mother told him that it was an unhappy man who had lost everything and had come all the way to consult him, and bade the young man not to be afraid, but to come forward and show himself. So he went boldly up to the moon and asked if by any accident he had seen a place with the lasts of gold and silver tiles 
of diamond and all the furniture of silver and gold. Once this house belonged to him, but now it was stolen. And the moon said no, but at that the sun traveled farther than he did, and that the young man had better go ask him. So the young man departed and went away, 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 and as well as his horse could take him, beginning his living as he rode along, and somehow or other at last he got to the land of the sun. There he found a little old woman who asked him, What are you doing here? Go away. Have you not heard that my son feeds upon Christians? But he said no, and that he would not go, for he was so miserable that it was all to him, whether he died or not, that he had lost everything, and especially a splendid palace like none other in the world, for it had lasts of gold and tiles of diamond, and all the furniture was of silver and gold, and that he sought it far and long, and in the earth there was no man more unhappy. So the old woman's heart melted, and she agreed to hide him. When the sun arrived, when the sun arrived, he declared that he smelled Christian flesh and meant to have it for his dinner. But his mother told him such a pitiful story of the miserable wrench who had lost everything and had come from far to ask his help that at last he promised to see him. So the young man came out from his hiding place and begged the son to tell him if the course of his travels he had not seen somewhere a palace that had not its like in the world in the whole world, for its rafts were of gold, and its tiles of diamonds, and all the furniture in silver and gold. And the sun said no, but that perhaps the wind had seen it, for he entered everywhere and saw things that no one else ever saw, and if anyone knew where it was, it was certainly the wind. Then the poor young man again set forth, as well as his horse could take him, begging his living as he went, and somehow or other he ended up by reaching the home of the wind. He found there a little old woman busily occupying and filling great barrels with water. She asked him what he had put into his head to come here, for her son ate everything he saw, and that he would shortly arrive quite mad, and that the young man had better look out. But he answered that he was so unhappy that he had ceased to mind anything, even being eaten, and then he told her that he had been robbed of a palace that had not its own equal in the world and all that was in it, and all that he had ever, and that he had even left his wife, and was wandering all over the world until he found it, and that it was the son who had sent him to consult the wind. So she hid him under the staircase, and soon they heard from the south wind arrive, shaking the house to its foundations. Thirsty as he was, he did not wait to drink, but he told his mother that he smelled the blood of a Christian man, and that he she had better bring him out at once and make him ready to be eaten. But she bade her son to eat and drink what was before him, and said that the poor young man was much to be pitied, and that the son had granted him his life in order that he might consult the wind. Then she brought out the young man, who explained how he was seeking for his palace, and that no man had been able to tell him where it was, so he had come to the wind, and he added that he had been shamefully robbed and that last were of gold, and silver tiles of diamond, and all the furniture in silver and gold. And he inquired if the wind had not seen such a palace during his wanderings. And the wind said yes, and that all, and that all day he had been blowing backward and forward over it, 
without being able to move one single tile. Oh, do tell me where it is, cried the young man. It is a long way off, replied the wind, on the other side of the Red Sea. But our traveler was not discouraged. He had already journeyed so far. So he set forth at once, and somehow or another he managed to reach the distant land, and he inquired if anyone wanted a gardener. He was told that the head gardener at the castle had just left, and perhaps he might have a chance of getting the place. The young man lost no time, but waking up to the castle, walked up to the castle and asked if they were in want of a gardener, and how happy he was when they agreed to take him. Now he passed most of his day gossiping with the servants about the wealth of their masters and the wonderful things in the house. He made friends with one of the maids who told him the history of the snuff-box, and he coaxed her to let him see it. One evening she managed to get a hold of it, and the young man watched carefully where she hid it away in the secret place in the bedchambers of her mistress. The following night, everyone was fast asleep. He crept in and took the snuff-box. Think of the joy as he opened the lid. When it asked him of yore, what do you want? He replied, what do I want? What do I want? Why, I want to go with my palace to the old place, and for the king, queen, and all their servants to be drowned in the Red Sea. He had hardly finished speaking when he found himself back again with his wife, while all the other inhabitants of the palace were lying at the bottom of the Red Sea. The Golden Blackbird by Paul Sabat Once upon, Once upon a time there was a great lord who had three sons. He fell very ill, sent for doctors of every kind, even bone-setters, but they, none of them, could find out what was the matter with him or even give him any relief. At last there was a foreign doctor who declared that the golden blackbird alone could cure the sick man. So the old lord dispatched his eldest son to look for the wonderful bird, to look for the wonderful bird, and promised him great witches if he managed to find it. and bring it back. The young man began his journey, and soon arrived at the place of the four roads met. He did not know which to choose, and tossed his cap in the air to determine the direction of its fall should decide him. After traveling for two or three days, he grew tired of walking without knowing where or how long, and he stopped at an inn and was filled with merrymakers and ordered something to eat and drink. My faith, said he, it is surely folly to waste more time hunting for this bird. My father is old, and if he dies, I shall inherit all his goods. The old man, after waiting patiently for some time, sent his second son to seek the golden blackbird. The young took the same direction as his brother, and when he came to the crossroads, he too tossed up which road he should take. The cat fell in the same place as before, and he walked on till he came to the spot where his brother had halted. The latter, who was leaning out the window in the inn, called him to stay where he was and amuse himself. You are right, replied the youth. Who knows if I should ever find the golden blackbird, even if I sought the whole world for it. At the worst, the old man dies, we shall have his property. He entered the inn, and the two brothers made merry and feasted, till very soon their money was all spent, then even owed something to their landlord who kept them as hostages till they could pay their debts. The youngster's son set forth in his turn, 
and he arrived at the place where his brothers were still prisoners. They called to him to stop, and did all they could to prevent his going further. No, he replied, my father trusted me, and I will go all over the world till I find the golden blackbird. Blah, said his brother, you will never succeed any better than we did. Let him die if he wants to. We will divide the property. As he went his way, he met a little hare, who stopped and looked at him and asked, Where are you going, my friend? I really don't quite know, he answered. My father is ill, and he cannot be cured unless I bring him back the golden blackbird. It is a long time since I have set out, but no one can tell me where to find it. Ah, said he, the hare, you have a long way to go yet. You will have to walk at least seven hundred miles before you get to it. And how am I to travel such a distance? Mount on my back, said the little hare, and I will conduct you. The young man obeyed, and each bound, the little hare went seven miles, and it was not long before they reached the castle that was as large and as beautiful as a castle could be. The golden blackbird is in a little cabin near by, said the little hare, and you will easily find it. It lives in a little cage with other, with another cage beside it made of all gold, but whether you do be sure not to put it in the beautiful cage, or everyone in the castle will know that you have stolen it. And the youth found the golden blackbird standing on the wooden perch, but as stiff and rigid as if he was dead. And besides the beautiful cage, and besides was the beautiful cage of gold. Perhaps he would revive if I put him in that lovely cage. Thought the youth. The moment the golden bird had touched the bars of the splendid cage. He awoke and began to whistle, so that all the servants in the castles ran to see what was the matter, saying that there was a thief and must be put to prison. No, he answered, I am not a thief. If I have taken the golden blackbird, it is only that it may cure my father, who is ill, and I have traveled more than seven hundred miles in order to find it. Well, they replied, we will let you go, and we will even give you the golden blackbird, if you are able to bring us the porcelain maiden. The youth departed, weeping, and met the little hare, who was mulching on wild thyme. "'What are you crying for, my friend?' asked the hare. "'It is because,' he answered, "'the castle people will not allow me to carry off the golden blackbird without giving them the porcelain maiden in exchange. "'You have not followed my advice,' said the little hare, "'and you have put the golden blackbird into its fine cage? "'Alas, yes. Don't despair. The porcelain maiden is a young girl, beautiful as Venus, who dwells two hundred miles from here. Jump on my back, and I will take you there. The little hare, who took seven miles in a stride, and there is no time at all, and he stopped on the border of the lake. The porcelain maiden, said the hare to the youth, will come here to bathe with her friends. Keep yourself out of sight behind the thicket, while I just eat a mouthful of time to refresh me. When she is in the lake, be sure you hide her clothes, which are of dazzling whiteness, and do not give them back unless she consents to follow you. The little hare left him, and almost immediately the porcelain maiden arrived with her friends. She undressed herself and got into the water. Then the young man glided up noiselessly and laid hold of her clothes, which he hid under a rock at some distance. When the porcelain maiden was tired of playing in the water, she came out to dress herself, but though she hunted for her clothes high and low, she couldn't find them nowhere. 
Her friends helped her in search, but seeing at last that it was of no use, they left her alone on the bank, weeping bitterly. Why do you cry? said the young man, approaching her. Alas, answered she, while I was bathing, someone stole my clothes, and my friends have abandoned me. I will find your clothes if you only come with me. And the porcelain maiden agreed to follow him. After her having given up her clothes, the young man sought a small horse for which she went like the wind. The little hare brought them both back to seek the golden blackbird, and when they drew near the castle where it lived, the little hare said to the young man, Now do be a little sharper than you were before when you managed to carry off both the golden blackbird and the porcelain maiden. Take the golden cage in one hand and leave the bird in the old cage where he is and bring that away too. The little hare then vanished. The youth did as he was bid, and the castle's servants never noticed that he was carrying off the golden blackbird. When he reached the inn where his brothers were detained, he delivered them by paying their debt. They set all out together, but the two elder brothers were jealous of the success of the youngest. They took the opportunity as they were passing by the shores of the lake to throw themselves upon him, seize the golden blackbird, and fling him into in the water. They continued their journey, taking with them the porcelain maiden, in the firm belief that their brother was drowned. But happily he had snatched the snatched the failing at a tuft of rush and called loudly for help. The little hare came running to him and said, Take hold of my leg and pull yourself out of the water. When he was safe on the shore, the little hare said to him, Now this is what you have to do. Dress yourself like Brenton, seeking a place as a stable boy, and go and offer your services to your father. Once there, you will easily be able to make him understand the truth. The young man did as the little hare bade him, and he went to his father's castle and inquired if there was not in want of a stable boy. Yes, replied his father, very much indeed, but it is not an easy place. There is a little horse in the stable, which will not let anyone go near it, and it has already kicked to death several people who have tried to groom it. I will undertake the groom, said the youth. I never saw the horse I was afraid of yet. The little horse allowed itself to be rubbed down without a toss of its head and without a kick. Good gracious, exclaimed the master. How is it that he lets you touch him when no one else can go near him? Perhaps he knows me, answered the stable boy. Two or three days later, the master said to him, The porcelain maiden is here, but though she is as lovely as the dawn, she is so wicked that she scratches everyone who approaches her. Try if she will accept your service. The young youth entered the room where she was, and the golden blackbird broke forth into a joyful song, and the porcelain maiden sang too, and jumped for joy. Good gracious, cried the master, the porcelain maiden and the golden blackbird know you too? Yes, replied the youth, and the porcelain maiden can tell you the whole truth if she only will. Then she told all that had happened, and how she had consented to follow the young man who captured the golden blackbird. Yes, added the youth, I delivered my brothers, who were kept prisoner in an inn, and as an award they threw me into a lake. So I disguised myself and came here in order to prove the truth to you. So the old lord embraced his son and promised that he should inherit all his possessions, and he put to death the two elder ones who had deceived him and had tried to slay their own brother. The young man married the porcelain maiden and had a splendid wedding feast.
The Half Chick, retold by Andrew Lang. Once upon a time, there was a handsome black Spanish hen who had a large brood of chickens. They were all fine, plump little birds, except the youngest, who was quite unlike his brothers and sisters. Indeed, he was such a strange, queer-looking creature that he first clipped his shell of his mother could scarcely believe her eyes. He was so different from the twelve other fluffy, drowny, soft little chicks who nested under her wings. This one looked only as if he could just been cut in two. He had only one leg and one wing and one eye, and he was half a head and half a beak. His mother shook her head sadly as she looked at him and said, My youngest born is only half chick. He can never grow up tall, handsome, cock like his brothers. They will go out into the world and rule over poultry yards of their own. But this poor little fellow will always have to stay at home with his mother. And she called him Mido Pinto, which is Spanish for half chick. Now, though Mido Pinto was such an odd, helpless looking thing, his mother soon found that he was not at all willing to remain under her wing and protection. Indeed, characters he was, as unlike his brothers and sisters as he was in appearance. They were good, obedient chickens, and were all. And when the old hen clicked after them, they chirped and ran back to her side. But Mento Pinto had a roving spirit in spite of his one leg, and when his mother called to him to return to the coop, he pretended that he could not hear because he had only one ear. When she took the whole family out for a walk in the fields, Mendo Pinto would hop away by himself and hide among the corn. Many anxious minutes his brothers and sisters had looking for him while his mother ran to and fro, crackling in fear and dismay. As he grew older, he became more self-willed and disobedient, and his manner to his mother was often very rude, and his temper to the other chickens very disagreeable. One day he had been out for a long expedition, longer than usual in the fields. On his return, strutted up to his mother with a particular little hop and kick, which was his way of walking, and cocking his one eye at her in a very bold way, he said, Mother, I am tired of this life in a dull farm yard with nothing but a dreary maize field to look at. I'm off to Madrid to see the king. To Madrid, Mido Pieto, exclaimed his mother. Why, you silly chick, it would be a long journey for a grown-up cock, and a poor little thing like you would be tired before you had gone half the distance. No, stay at home with your mother, and some day when you are bigger, you will go on a little journey together. But Mirento Pirto made up his mind, and he would not listen to his mother's advice, nor to the prayers and entreaties of his brothers and sisters. What in the use of all our crowding each other up in this poultry little place, said he said, when I have a fine courtyard of my own at the king's palace, I shall perhaps ask some of you to come and pay me a short visit. And scarcely waiting to say goodbye to his family, Away he stumped down the high road that led to Madrid. Be sure that you are kind and civil to everyone you meet, called his mother, running after him. But he was in such a hurry to be asked that he did not wait to answer her or even look back.
A little later in the day, as he was taking a shortcut through the field, he passed a stream. Now the stream was all choked up with overgrown with weeds and water plants, so that its water could not flow freely. Oh, Mirio Prianto, cried the half-chick, hopping along the banks, do come and help me by clearing these weeds. Help you indeed, exclaimed Mirio Prieto, tossing his head and shaking the few feathers in his tail. Do you think I have nothing to do but to waste my time on such trifles? Help yourself, and don't trouble busy travelers. I am off to Madrid to see the king. Hoppity chick, hoppity chick. Away stumped Mirto Prieto. After a little later, he came to a fire that had been left by some gypsies in the wood. It was burning very low and would soon be out. Oh, Mirto Prieto, cried the fire in a weak, wavering voice as the half-chick approached. In a few minutes I shall go out unless you put some sticks and dry leaves upon me. Do help me or I shall die. Help you indeed, answered Mirto Prieto. I have other things to do. Gather sticks for yourself and don't trouble me. I am off to Madrid to see the king. Hoppity kick, hoppity kick, away stumped, Mirto Prieto. The next morning, as he was getting nearer Madrid, he passed a large chestnut tree in whose branches the wind was caught and entangled. Oh, Mirto Prieto, called the wind, do a hop up here and help me get free of these branches. I cannot come away, and it is so uncomfortable. It is your own fault for going there, answered Mirto Prieto. I can't waste all my morning stopping here to help you. Just shake yourself off and don't hinder me, for I'm off to Madrid to see the king. Hoppity kick, hoppity kick. Away stumped Maestro Prieto, and great glee for the tower and roof of Madrid were now in sight. When he entered the town, he saw before him a great splendid house with soldiers standing before the gates. This he knew must be the king's palace, and determined to hop up to the front gate and wait there until the king came out. But as he hopped past one of the back windows, the king's cook saw him. Here is the very thing I want, he exclaimed, for the king has just sent a message to say that he must have chicken broth for his dinner. Opening the window, he stretched out his arm and caught Mirto Prieto and popped him into the broth pot that was standing near the fire. Oh, how wet and clammy the water feels! as it went over Mirto Prieto's head, making his feathers cling to him. Water, water, he cried in despair. Do you have pity upon me, and do you not wet me like this? Ah, Mirto Prieto, replied the water, you would not help me when I was a little stream away on the fields. Now you must be punished. Then the fire began to burn and scaled Mirto Prieto, and he danced and hopped from one side of the pot to the other, trying to get away from the heat and crying out in pain. Fire, fire, do not scorch me like this. You can't think of how it hurts. Ah, Mirto Prieto, answered the fire. You would not help me when I was dying away in the wood. You are being punished. At last, when the pain was so great that Mirto Prieto thought he must die, the cook lifted the lid of the pot to see if the broth was ready for the king's dinner. Look here, he cried in horror. This chicken is quite useless. It's burnt to a cinder and can't send it up to the royal table and opened the window and threw Mirto Prieto out in the streets. But the wind caught him up and whirled him through the air so quickly that Mirto Prieto could scarcely breathe, and his heart beat against his side till he thought it would break. Oh, wind, I, at last, he gasped out, if you hurry me along like this, you will kill me. Do let me rest a moment, or... But he was so breathless that he could not finish his sentence. 
Ah, Mirta Prieto, replied the wind. When I caught, was caught in the branches of the chestnut tree, you would not help me. Now you are punished. And he whirled Mirto Prieto over the roofs of the house till they reached the highest church in the town, and there he left him fastened to the top of the steeple. And there stands Mirto Prieto to this day. And if you go to Madrid and walk through the streets, you will come to find, you will come to the highest church. You will see Mirto Prieto perched on his one leg on the steeple, with his one wing drooping at his side, gazing sadly out of his one eye over the town. The Three Brothers by Herman R. Kettle There was once upon a time a witch who, in the shape of a hawk, used every night to break the windows of a certain village church. In the same village there lived three brothers, who were all determined to kill the mysterious hawk, but in vain they did the two eldest mount guard in the church with their guns, and as soon as the bird appeared high above the heads, sleep overpowered them, and they only woke to hear the windows crashing in. Then the younger brother took his turn of guarding the windows, and to prevent his being overcome by his sleep, he placed a lot of thorns under his chin, so that when he felt drowsy and nodded his head, they would prick him and keep him awake. The moon was already risen, and it was light as day, when suddenly he heard a fearful noise. At the same time, a terrible desire to sleep overpowered him. His eyelids closed, and his head sank on his shoulder. But the thorns ran into him and were so painful, he woke at once. He saw the hawk swoop down upon the church, and in a moment he realized he had seized his gun and shot at the bird. The hawk fell heavily under a big stone, severely wounded in his right wing. The youth ran to it and looked at it and saw a huge abyss had opened below the stone. He went at once to fetch his brothers, and with their help dragged a long pine wood and ropes to the spot, and fastened some of the burning pine wood to the end of the rope, and let it down slowly into the bottom of the abyss. At first it was quite dark, and the flaming torch only lit up a dirty gray stone wall. But the youngest brother determined to explore the abyss, and letting himself down the rope, he soon reached the bottom. He found a quite lovely meadow full of green trees and exquisite flowers. In the middle of the meadow stood a huge stone castle with an iron gate leading to it, which was wide open. Everything in the castle seemed to be made of copper, and the only inhabitants he could discover was a lovely girl who was combing her golden hair, and he noticed that whenever one of her hairs fell onto the ground, it rang out like a pure metal. The youth looked at her more closely and saw that her skin was smooth and fair, her blue eyes bright and sparkling, and her hair as golden as the sun. He fell in love with her on the spot, and kneeling at her feet, he employed her to become his wife. The lovely girl accepted his proposal gladly, but at the same time she warned him that she could never come up to the world above till her mother, the old witch, was dead, and she went on to tell him that the only way in which the old creature could be killed was with the sword that hung up in the castle, but the sword was so heavy that no one could lift it. Then the youth went into the room in the castle, where everything was made of silver, and he, there he found another beautiful girl, the sister of his bride, 
She was combing her silver hair, and every hair that fell on the ground rang out like pure metal. The second girl handed him the sword, but though he tried with all his strength, he could not lift it. At last a third sister came to him and gave him a drop of something to drink, which she said would give him the needful strength. He drank one drop, but still could not lift the sword. Then he drank a second, and the sword began to move. But only after he had drunk the third drop was he able to swing the sword over his head. Then he hid himself in the castle and awaited the old witch's arrival. At last it was beginning to grow dark. She appeared. She swooped down upon a big apple tree, and after shaking some of the golden apples from it, she pounced down upon the earth. As soon as her feet touched the ground, she began transformed from a hawk into a woman. This was the moment the youth was waiting for, and he swung his mighty sword in the air with all his strength, and the witch's head fell off, and her blood spurted upon the walls. Without fear of any further danger, he packed up all the treasures of the castle into great chests and gave his brother the signal to pull them up out of the abyss. First the treasures were attached to the rope, and then the three lovely girls, and now everything was up above, and only himself remained below. But as he was a little suspicious of his brothers, he fastened a heavy stone on to the rope and let them pull it up. At first they heaved with a will, but then the stone was halfway up, they let it drop suddenly, and it fell to the bottom, broken into a hundred pieces. So that's what they would have happened to my bones if I had trusted them, said the youth sadly, and he cried bitterly, but not because of the treasures, but because of the lovely girl with her swan-like neck and golden hair. For a long time he wandered sadly through the beautiful underworld, and one day he met a magician who asked him the cause of his tears. The youth told him that he had fallen he had befallen him, and the magician said, Do not grieve, young man. If you will guard the children who are hidden in the golden apple tree, I will bring you at once to the earth. Another magician who lives in this land always eats my children up. It is in vain that I have hidden them under the tree and locked them into the castle. Now I have hidden them in the apple tree. Hide yourself there too, and at midnight you will see my enemy. The youth climbed up the tree and picked some of the beautiful golden apples which he ate for supper. At midnight the wind began to rise and Russell's sound was heard at the foot of the tree. The youth looked down and beheld a long thick serpent beginning to crawl up the tree. It wound itself round the stem and gradually got higher and higher. It stretched its huge head in which its eyes glittered fiercely among the branches, searching for the nest in which the little children lay. The trembled they trembled with terror when they saw the hideous creature and hid themselves beneath the leaves. Then the youth swung his mighty sword in the air, and with one blow cut off the serpent's head. He cut up the rest of the body into little bits and strewed them to the four winds. The father of the cursed children was so delighted over the death of his enemy that he told the youth to get on his back, and thus he carried him up to the world above. With what joy did he hurry now to his brother's house? He burst into a room where they were all assembled, but no one knew who he was. Only the bride, who was serving as cook to her sisters, recognized her love at once. His brothers, who had quite believed he was dead, yielded him up, yielded him up his treasures at once and flew into the woods in terror. 
but the good youth forgave him. But the good youth forgave them all they had done and divided his treasures with them. Then he built himself a big castle with golden windows, and there he lived happily with his gold-haired wife till the end of their lives. So that's it for this episode of the Fortations Life to Tape podcast. I want to thank everyone for coming out. I will see you next week. There are video versions that are coming out, and I'll have more information on the links uh, below in, in this podcast, both in the podcast player and uh, on social media. So I want to thank everyone for coming out. See everyone next week. Thank you for viewing this Life to Tape video. Life to Tape is part of Fotations, and if you'd like to help, you can visit FotationsDonation.com, where there are ways you can support financially or by donating equipment. If you'd also like to support on social media, that helps out a lot. There's more information on our social media accounts in the links below. Thank you. Bye-bye.